1: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead. A big drop in bond yields after the 10 year started the day back above 5%. And that recent climb was enough for Bill Ackman to cover his bond short. Is that helping to drive yields lower today? Our portfolio manager says bonds can achieve equity like returns over the next 18 months, where she's seeing opportunity now. Not everyone is so sure yields will drop, though. Columbia's Charles Calamiris is sounding some alarm bells, warning that government spending could overwhelm the Fed's inflation fight. And getting fiscal policy under control could mean a big shock for the banking system. He'll lay out the options available both to the Fed and lawmakers. Plus, the co-CEO of Morgan Stanley's real estate arm is here to explain her strategy and how it's changing in the face of higher yields as well as what opportunities she's seeing overseas. Before all that though, let's start with the market action as we're near For one Saddam, I get to say session highs.
2: Yes, you can say session highs right now. That's exactly where we sit. If you look at the market's overall, with the S&P, remember on Friday we talked about that kind of 200-day moving average, that longer-term trend line. 42.33. We're now solidly above it, but it wasn't the case earlier today. We were down as much as roughly 35 points on the S&P 500. Right now, as you point out, session high is up 30. So it's been a fairly large reversal during the course of the day. So you wonder whether or not some traders were out there looking at that, whether or not we could bounce off that longer term trend line. The Dow Industrial is up about 100 points, 33,225, up one third of 1%, the laggard, if you want to call it that. The Nasdaq Composite now very much to the upside, up north of 1%, 153 points higher for the composite, 13,137. So we'll see whether that tick higher in interest rates and now backing off of that 5% level for the 10-year note could be interesting in terms of the way it's driving some of the market action. On the macro side of things, cryptocurrency, as much as you want to call it a macro trade, I want to just focus on that 30,000 mark because we told you just over the course of the last couple of weeks that we were on the verge of kind of breaking out over this medium term trend that we've seen for Bitcoin prices. That 30,000 mark was key. Now it's at 31,156, up about another 4% from this stage here. There has been some headlines in the last few days about Bitcoin ETFs, regulatory approval, whether they wouldn't be. But whatever's happening, we have now at least moved to what looks like a higher trading range for now for Bitcoin, something to keep a close eye on. And then stock of the day wise, it's a merger Monday, big deal in oil and gas following up on Exxon's big purchase of Pioneer Natural Resources. We've got Chevron making an all, ca- or all stock deal for Hess, smaller competitor, $53 billion in size. All stock transactions, Chevron down about 3% right now, Hess down about 1%. If you just want to pay attention to the year-to-date action, by the way, on these stocks, remember, crude oil prices up 7%. Chevron's actually lagged in terms of the energy sector overall. Hess is up about 14%. You can kind of see just the last couple of months is where the real action has been taking place. So whether or not Chevron, Kelly... Can get some kind of a bid out of this deal remains to be seen but it's the big deal of the day i'll send things back over to you
3: yeah
1: huge action in the oil patch dom thanks and huge action in bond moves today the 10-year yield briefly back above five percent then dropping sharply while the yield curve is now almost completely uninverted let's bring in rick santelli to help make sense of it all rick
4: yes we're under 10 basis points twos to tens and what's fascinating is uh, many traders and sources that I deal with on a daily basis have a variety of reasons which all make sense as to why yields reverse. First of all, the obvious reason. Psychologically, we hit a very important point of 5%. Add in geopolitics and some of the nervousness and question marks regarding what's going on in the Middle East. Add in Ukraine and Russia. And we look at legendary traders at reverse positions. Does that make sense? I'm a firm believer, let the market tell you what to do. And to that end, let's go to the whiteboard. You know, after the 12th, we've set a pattern in treasury yields where we continually seem to trade above the previous day's highs. And that really started to be a sideways endeavor when we had Thursday and Friday last week. Now, to be sure, many traders had questions whether we even traded 5% at all. It was only on one system. But that's a moot point this morning. So what happens that the market's telling us what's going on? Well, let's remove this. Here's today's activity. We have a higher high than we did on Friday. We have a lower low than we did on Friday, and this is true for 10s, 20s, and 30s. This is called an outside session. Higher highs, lower lows. That usually means trend reversal. So trend reversal would make sense. Now, does that mean that what we have today, the high yield just shy of 502, is going to be a top or the top? I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is, Look for consolidation to give us a retest of 570 to 5 and three. Excuse me, 470 to 4 and three quarters, and let the market show us if we close below that point before we get back over five percent. Mr. Ackman's probably going to have a much juicier profit by the end of next month. Reporting, Kelly, it's all up to you now. Back to you.
1: No, and I I think it's... I I bet it is the top because, you know, I've got a piece out there talking about, you know, comparing the U.S. to the pig countries from Europe, you know, 10 years ago. So that's probably a sign of where sentiment is, Rick. But it is notable to see that America's bond yields are lower or, I'm sorry, are higher than most of uh, peripheral Europe's at this point.
4: Yes, and you know what? There's actually some good reasons for for a change. Europe, in many ways doesn't have a constitution. They have an agreement, the Maastricht Agreement, which keeps deficits supposedly in a contained measure, meaning those member countries have to try to get 3% or lower. They are actually trying to tackle deficits. I'm not sure the same could be said for the U.S. as we look at revisited numbers for the budget deficit that are in the $2 trillion camp, and I still contend that as much as we all want to say this is the top, I think it's going to be a temporary consolidation I think yields go much higher
1: Ooh, all right rick thank you for now we appreciate it rick santelli let's dig a little further into bill ackman's call which is getting lots of press today because of the reversal in bond yields afterwards he covered his short he said because there's too much risk in the world that could make safer debt attractive here and push yields lower he also said the economy is slowing faster than recent data suggests which would also also mean lower yields and my next guests are big fans of buying bonds here Joining me on set, Andy Capron is a partner at the wealth advisory firm Coriant, and Angie Newman is a portfolio manager at UBS Private Wealth Management. Welcome to both. Is it still UBS Private Wealth Management? It is. Is it, it okay? Is. Well, just 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 checking. Yeah. Um, Angie, let me start with you because for a lot of folks, they're sort of thinking, okay, I've dabbled in in maybe you know treasuries. I've gone to Treasury Direct. I've maybe gone into CD, and I'm starting to now try to figure out tax strategy, and I'm che- and I'm looking at long bonds, and I. What would you tell people to do with the yields on offer in this environment? Where should they go?
5: They should extend their duration. Really? And it's been most uh, most challenging conversation I've had with clients recently because it's so safe to sit there in cash and five and change percent um, short term. But if you're trying to achieve a, dur- a durable, sustainable stream of income, especially for our retirees, our pre-retirees, if you're going to be blessed to live on this planet for another day. You need long term duration or, or at least intermediate term duration. And so some sort of a balance is really what we're after.
1: And I have to imagine most of these things you're talking about hold to maturity. We're not talking about taking on market risk here. So for you to tell someone to go out to five years or 10 years or even 30 years at 5%, what's the biggest pushback you're getting?
5: I'm not really, I'm not going all in on one maturity. I'm really, I'm creating portfolios really that are balanced. I'm even barbelling them a little bit with keeping some on the short end. But our thoughts are, are also that real yields are going to come down. And so we feel like we're at the peak of the rate cycle. We feel like we could get equity-like returns for the next 12 to 18 months, somewhere in the double digits, if you buy bonds now. So um, if you have a portfolio that is you know, highly diversified with different maturities, um, we like high quality that's where we think you should be.
1: Andy, same for you.
6: Very similar position for me. And I think the biggest challenge investors are facing is just psychology and Mm -hmm. perception of value. When the yield curve is flat, when it's inverted, the bond market is upside down. People see similar returns in cash, which they view as less risky, as they do in bonds, which they view as more so, especially after the last two years. Here's, Here's what I think they're missing. I think what they're missing is there's value in making a commitment. If you like today's yields for three months, why not three years? Right. Why not something longer?
1: That's why I'm curious what the pushback is. Do people think that inflation is going to be so high? Like, especially if you've I've I've looked at they they 30 percent 30 years at five percent, but I mean, you are at some point going to lose your real purchasing power.
6: Once bird, twice shy. I think <laughs> a lot of investors are looking at what happened to them last year, looking at mark to market returns that are negative again this year, yeah. and feeling like I I and feeling like they want to see the safety of a known thing in three months and what i'm trying to encourage them to think about is why not have a known thing for 5 to 10 years. Right.
1: And i think we're headed uh, correct me if i'm wrong Angie for 3 years of losses in bonds which maybe has never happened before. So understandably people are a little bit nervous.
5: Yeah. Well and and we had that 2021 period of equities that was pretty rough too. Mm-hmm. So people went from, you know, having goals to have uh, of like higher yields and higher returns to just preserving capital and sitting on the sidelines, and now they've reduced their expectations and they're very happy with that 5%. But
1: what about, I mean, we have these headlines about Chevron and Exxon, and, and we know what some of the yields are and, and the energy story. I mean, ever look to send people there instead of bonds or, yeah. you know, it's not that you can't do a little bit of everything, but yeah. where's the portfolio
5: for sure. We, we still like equities uh, for the long term. We actually think bonds are going to outperform equities in the next 12 to 18 months, but we do like equities. Balanced portfolios. You know, we're favoring, you know, indices that are are uh, market weighted. Um, so, you know, we're, we're not necessarily high in on the on the high beta names, but we're also hedging. You know, we like we like private equity, we like hedge funds, we like covered calls and structured products. We think we're back to balanced portfolios to smooth out returns over time.
1: Do you think, Andy, we're going to be in a recession? And the, you know, that's what Bill. There, they've been busy on Twitter this morning. Bill Gross basically said. Q4 recession, you know, doesn't like what he's seeing across some of the auto delinquencies in those parts of the market.
6: So I think the Fed has the bond market by the horns. Um, it's really driving the next big move. And I think the Fed is responding to two things. The first one is the inflationary outlook and where inflation actually is. And the second one is unemployment. Inflation has been slowly but surely coming down to that 2% level. So I think as long as the economy continues to make progress towards 2%, as long as we don't see any, any unexpected spikes, particularly in core inflation, the Fed has a lot of room to leave interest rates alone, potentially reduce them a little bit. But the biggest one to watch is the employment market. We have been in a very unnaturally tight uh, market for labor for going on two and a half years now. Um, the Fed needs to see softening there to really give themselves room and flexibility to reduce rates. I think those are the numbers to watch. Will we see a traditional recession the way that you and I normally define it? Perhaps not. This is a very unusual environment that we're working in. So instead, watch not so much the headline data, watch inflation, unemployment.
1: Real quickly before we go, Angie, corporate credit. I mean, that's one area where we've seen a lot of recommendations for people to look at high yield and things like that, even with the potential defaults that might be coming. You know, at some point, are you compensated with where yields are?
5: You know we're not saying to overexpose yourself to that market but we are saying for those clients that have been in um, you know floating rates or senior loans which have done extremely well over the last you know 18 months two years credit for credit we like high yield now so we're saying take your profits and go into high yield we're not saying Expose more of your of your portfolio to high yeah, yield. Yeah,
1: you're rotating out. People are getting exactly. a little nervous about what's happening and, and floating right in some of those things. And by the way, since we last talked, the insurance problems are only getting worse. I know. I don't know if there's any further kind of rush by by a lot of your clients you deal with to say like I'm coming up with different strategies here to deal with this cost of living shock.
5: Well, do you want me to talk about that? <laughs> I,
1: give me give me a few seconds. I'm I will curious. just say,
5: all I will say is for those clients who are choosing to self insure now. Yeah. They're running into the risk that they will not be picked up by an insurance company if their goal is to wait it out for a couple of years because these insurance companies don't like people to flip on and off, the switch Mm -hmm. on and off.
1: So just something to be careful of because it's it's so popular right now to self-insure. That's a great point. You need often that continue. I forgot about that. All right. Guys, thank you both for joining me today. Appreciate it, Angie Newman, Andy Capron, as the Dow hangs on to its gains. Meanwhile, professional investors love to roll their eyes at meme traders in recent years, but retail investors have actually chalked up a pretty good track record. That's according to data from Vanda Research in the Wall Street Journal. Since 2014, the average individual investor's stock portfolio is up more than 150%, in fact, beating the S&P 500, which is up just shy of 140% over the same period. The data seems to challenge a conventional Wall Street belief that everyday investors are the so-called dumb money. And, and by the way, with the movie of the same name, uh, retail investors do remain active purchasers of ETFs and stocks. Uh, and those that continues to top pre-pandemic levels. As a result, everyday investors are increasingly viewed today as important movers and shakers in the stock market. Coming up, who's the pig now? It could be the U.S. as the country faces the risk of government debt and deficits dominating the Fed's ability to keep inflation low. Why we can't take a page out of Europe's 2012 playbook that's next. Plus, commercial real estate remains one of Wall Street's biggest concerns. Even the head of Morgan Stanley's real estate business says the worst is yet to come. She'll tell us where she sees the biggest risks and opportunities. As we head to break, here's a quick look at the markets, which have been fluctuating all over the place as bond yields really drive the narrative today. Bottom right-hand corner of your screen there, you can see the 10-year Treasury yield is now all the way back down towards 480 from a high of over 5% just this morning. Uh, that drop has helped move stocks higher. The Nasdaq's up 1%, half a percent for the s&p dow hanging on to a 21 point gain we're back after this
7: the most innovative companies are going further with t-mobile for business tractor supply trusts 5g solutions from t-mobile together we're connecting over 2200 stores with 5g business internet empowering ai so team members can match shoppers with the products they need faster this is enriching customer experience this is tractor supply with t-mobile for business Take your business further at tmobile.com/slash now.
3: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
1: Welcome back to the exchange as the Dow threatens to turn lower again. It was down uh, triple digits earlier this session when bond yield started above 5 percent. But we've seen a reversal here uh, that is maybe reversing yet again. Not on the bond side, though. The 10 year still around uh, 483 and the S&P 500 uh, there at uh, 4243, up half a percent today, but just a hair above its 200 day moving average after breaking and closing beneath that level on Friday for the first time since March, 4235 is the number to watch there. The Dow and Russell are both still trading below their 200-day moving averages. Could the Nasdaq be next? That's hovering near its 200-day moving average, 12,742. And it hasn't broken below there since March, about 400 points above it now. Let's count up now the House of Representatives, eclipsing 19 days and 20 hours without a speaker. Over to Emily Wilkins on the Hill for more on the GOP's protracted path to a new leader. Emily?
0: Hey, Kelly. Well, we might see that number get much higher in coming days. Republicans are essentially back to square one now. Uh, Jim Jordan was the nominee last week, but he stepped down on Friday. So now nine Republicans have thrown their hat into the ring to be the next speaker. They've been working the phones all weekend, trying to build support, and they'll be having a candidate form later tonight where they will actually be giving their pitch to members, answering questions, and then tomorrow morning, the Republican conference will begin to vote, secret ballot behind closed doors, and it might take several rounds to figure Figure out who their nominee is going to be, and then, of course, it is to the House floor. Now, wanted to focus on one of the frontrunners. Tom Emmer is currently the number 3 Republican in the House. He had to win his election to become the majority whip, and he is someone who does seem to have a lot of momentum. He was backed by Kevin McCarthy. Um, obviously, he's already worked with a number of different factions within House Republicans. However, he is one of the two of the nine Republicans who are running who did not vote uh, to overturn some of those state results for the 2020 election and there are some questions about how well he gets along with Trump and whether some of the members who are more supportive of Trump could ultimately support him you also have other members of leadership who are running uh, Mike Johnson who is the vice chair of the conference Gary Palmer who's the chair of the policy committee both of them have won elections before you have Kevin Hearn who is the chair of the Republican Study Committee one of the biggest groups within the Republican Conference and then you also have folks like Byron Donalds who's considered a rising star, even though he has not been in conference for that long. Of course, the big question, can any of these folks get to 217? And, Kelly, at that point, that's just not clear that can actually happen. And there are still Republicans who are kind of waiting in the wings with that plan to empower Speaker McHenry. It didn't get enough support last week. But as time goes on, as we don't have a speaker, as we get closer and closer to some of those key funding deadlines, that idea might begin to gain some more speed. All right. For now,
1: Emily, thanks. Uh, Emily Wilkins, we appreciate it. Turning now to worries about the health of the commercial real estate sector, which continue to mount, with many seeing it as a top risk for banks and for broader financial stability. In fact, nearly three-quarters of respondents to the Fed's latest financial stability report say it's a prominent near-term risk. That compares with just half who thought so back in May. And while distress has been limited so far, my next guest says the worst is yet to come, uh, but so are the opportunities. Joining me now for an exclusive interview is Lauren Hochfeld, She is co-CEO of Morgan Stanley Real Estate Investing. Welcome to you. Thank you. What's this year been like, just in a a nutshell? I mean, pretty dramatic, I, I must imagine.
3: Absolutely, but it really depends what and where. So commercial real estate, contrary to all the headlines out there, is not one thing, and therefore there's just not one answer. So certain things affect all assets, changing cost of capital, credit constraints, uncertainty, etc. But if you look below the surface, there's a lot of divergence in outcomes. So perf- operating performance across asset classes is very different within and yeah. across sectors, markets, etc.
1: I mean, it's got everything from senior living to data centers to, you know, it's not just office. And we often do use commercial as a proxy for what we really mean with office. Although sometimes lately, I see worries growing about multifamily just because the banks have had to pull back. So if you had to just say right now, where, where's the opportunity? I mean, where, where do you feel excited to put capital to
3: work? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of distress out there, certainly with office and some other spaces. For us, we're much more focused on not on distressed assets, but on distressed capital stacks. So buying great quality assets that are just over levered with short duration debt.
1: So some of those might be from, you know, maybe from a few years ago, and the person we've seen all the headlines. Someone has to, to hand back the keys. That's a situation where you could come in. That kind of thing.
3: Absolutely, we expect. Look, when when your debt matures and you have to refi at half the proceeds and double the rate, something's got to give. And so we're there, focused on providing very. Flexible uh, rescue equity situation, sometimes buying assets, et cetera.
1: What are the ones you want to buy versus the ones where you say, well, yeah, no, that's not just not gonna work?
3: Yeah, look, I think it's misunderstood just how good fundamentals are in certain spaces on the ground. So vacancy at historically tight levels and certain mega trends really propelling demand. So what are those that we look at? We look at a complete uh, reorientation of the global supply chain, yeah. uh, changes in where goods are manufactured. We look at housing shortage. We look at aging population. So all of these things we think will ultimately grow long-term demand, regardless of cycles. and. Although natural. none
1: of that sounds to me like you're scooping up office properties right now. And we know that a lot of the best buildings are kind of in a different situation mm-hmm. than a lot of the, the, the ones that aren't so great. But what do you think of office in general? It's going to get worse before it gets better? Or is case-by-case
3: Yeah, well, look, I think there are two things that the headlines are really missing. First, so we manage a global business and invest all around the world. And, you know... I think people misunderstand just how different it is. So people in San Francisco, they may not want to go back to the office, which is why you see 42% utilization. But let me tell you, people in Seoul and Tokyo, they are back and they are not coffee badging. So difference by geography. And then secondly, I'd say in the US regular way office, which really is the toughest spot, the problems precede COVID. So work from home, that's a convenient excuse, certainly crushes demand. But office is so capital consumptive mm-hmm. that the spread between your nominal cap rate and your true cash yield is just, it's a gulf apart. I mean, look at the buildings that have gone up in the past decade and they're
1: they're boasting about, you know, their offerings and they are these beautiful mm-hmm. glass structures and they've got everything to offer to employees. But it sounds like those are also the properties that are the most successful in bringing people back in. Yeah. Absolutely. So what's a developer to do?
3: Yeah. Well, look, I think absolutely the best of the best. I mean, even in San Francisco that I just picked on, even there, because we own the best of the best, the rents we're signing today are above pre-COVID. Wow. So
1: you mentioned international, and one of the kind of interesting quirks has been that the US seems to have a much higher share of work from home than other countries. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any idea of why that is, but it sounds like international is where you think things are a little bit safer, at least for office.
3: Yeah, look, I think that um, a couple things, right? commuting trends, frankly, culture, a whole host of reasons that I think work from home is different. But um, I think in the U.S., we focus on the best of the best, and we continue to invest in office a bit in places like Tokyo.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's, yeah, like you said, uh, much more normal uh, trends there in some Absolutely. cases, and certainly overseas can be an option. So stepping back then and looking at the impact of higher rates, do you think it's This rate shock has been priced in now to the space. Are you kind of in partnerships or competing with um, some private credit funds for for those kinds of opportunities? Are we at the distressed phase now or do we still have to wait?
3: Yeah, look, I think it's it's a bit of both. Right. So there's this misconception that interest rate, high interest rates are game over for commercial real estate. And absolutely, it will be game over for guys that financed uh, to perfection when rates were zero percent. Uh, but the reality is there are certain types of real estate that I think can actually perform in a high rate, high inflation environment, particularly if that high inflation is coming from strong economic growth.
1: All right. So, well, and maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't. But let's say it is Then, as a parting kind of a recommendation. What would those areas be?
3: Look, we continue to like warehouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, we continue to like uh, senior housing. We like places where you can really push uh, income growth well in access of rate expansion. All right. Lauren, thanks. Appreciate you joining us
1: today. Thank you so much. Lauren Hockfelder with Morgan Stanley. Coming up, big tech earnings kicking off this week with four mega cap names. How soon until rising rates begin to hurt their bottom lines? We'll discuss that with the stocks rallying today. And as we head to break, communication services and tech are leading the way today as bond yields reverse lower. Energy is the biggest laggard, down 1.5% despite that Chevron deal, as WTI crude also backs off to near $85 a barrel. The exchange is back after this.
7: The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for business. Tractor Supply trusts 5G solutions from T-Mobile. Together, we're connecting over 2,200 stores with 5G business internet, empowering AI so team members can match shoppers with the products they need faster. This is enriching customer experience. This is Tractor Supply with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
1: Welcome back. Let's get to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update as the Dow turns lower by 17 points. Tyler.
8: Kelly, thank you very much. An off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot was charged with over 80 counts of attempted murder. The pilot allegedly attempted to shut off the plane's engine mid-flight while sitting in the jump seat. The plane took off from Washington State and was scheduled to land in San Francisco. The flight diverted to Portland, where the pilot was arrested. No injuries were reported. The White House announced it is creating 31 technology hubs to improve competition in the technology sector. The hubs will compete for grants from $40 million to $75 million. They will focus on technology areas including AI, clean energy, and biotechnology with the goal of improving economic growth, national security, and job creation. And meantime, Marvel's uh, Spider-Man 2 broke PlayStation Studios' record for the fastest-selling game in 24 hours. More than two and a half million copies were sold in the debut. The game is exclusive to PlayStation 5 users, and the standard version sold for just under $70. Big day. For Spider-Man. Kelly, back to you.
1: Thank you, Tyler. And a good week for it, too. I'll see you soon. Coming up, the co-CEO of Morgan Stanley's real estate arm. We just heard her explain how her strategy is changing in the face of higher yields and what opportunities she's seeing overseas. We'll talk about whether you can translate that to other sectors. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map with Walgreens the big winner on a pretty split average. Chevron is the worst performer on its acquisition of Hess today. It is an all-stock deal. The exchange is back after this. Welcome back to the exchange. Dows turn negative while the S&P is hanging on to a half percent gain and is about eight points above the 200 day and the Nasdaq is positive by nearly one percent. Tech stocks going from worst lately to first. Check out some of the names having the biggest point impact on the NASDAQ 100. Microsoft, NVIDIA, Amazon, Meta, gains across the board, and in NVIDIA's case, up 3.5%. Tech stocks are getting a break from surging rates today, but the recent climb has big implications for the sector. And with the mega cap names on deck to report this week, we'll look at what the rate shock we've been through means for companies big and small. That's next. Welcome back. It's a big week for tech earnings with Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, and Alphabet all on deck. And with rates near 16-year highs, the street will be watching for the impact of those rising yields. Deirdre Bosa joins us now to discuss, Deirdre, how they've been hitting or maybe not hitting the sector.
9: Yeah, I think more like not hitting, at least on the mega cap side. I mean the mega cap tech companies have really become defensive plays. They have these huge cash piles that are earning yield as rates go higher. Um, their growth at a reasonable price, garpy stock. So they're relatively safe in this kind of environment. But at the very other end of the spectrum is the startup world. And it's undergoing a sea change at the moment. Funding has come down. And really, they're hit by interest rates because, one, valuations come down because the current value of their future cash flows That's worth less when rates are higher. And at the same time, their borrowing costs are increasing. So that is really a double whammy to this part of tech. And that's leading to more startups shutting down. Now, what you're looking at right now, this is from Carta. It's a company that helps startups and VCs manage equity or cap table related activities. And it found that nearly... 550 startups have closed shop this year. That's more than the 467 for all of last year. And it basically concludes that this has already been the most difficult year for early stage companies in at least a decade. Uh, Kelly, I was talking to a CEO who manages, uh, who is the CEO of AngelList, and he sees similar data. And he says that it could get worse before it gets better because of those interest rate dynamics. Uh,
1: No, and I think I I loved the way you summarized it. You know, uh, big companies can shrug it off, but it, and not necessarily the stock prices, granted, but they can largely shrug it off. But for startups, this is a real game changer.
9: It is. And I want to mention one startup, which is really like the highest profile, one of the highest profile examples so far. It's called um, Convoy. It's a trucking startup that yes. was backed by Jeff Bezos and a few other very, very high profile investors. Just 18 months ago, it raised $260 million at a nearly $4 billion valuation. It was on track to bring in A billion dollars in revenue annually, and it just completely went under after rounds of layoffs. The CEO essentially told his staff that their strategic buyer couldn't do it anymore. And that's really an indication, too, of how even if you can't raise money and you have to look for a strategic acquisition, sometimes more and more the acquirers, the formula doesn't make sense to acquire a money losing company because they can earn more just by holding relatively risk-free, risk-free treasuries.
1: Yeah, this has major implications across Silicon Valley for the private equity industry uh, and for so much more. So also interesting to point out, though, that we are seeing this historic collapse in the freight market that <laughs> is not helping matters right now, and nor is it a great yeah. sign for the economy. Um, real quickly on the cash piles you're just speaking of making more by doing nothing, a lot of big yeah. tech now benefits from that situation as well.
9: Isn't it kind of amazing how that whole sort of complex has shifted? When rates were near zero, it was kind of seen as a liability that they were holding all of this cash and weren't doing anything with it when it wasn't earning or yielding very much. But now look at those cash piles. Apple is sitting on $167 billion in cash and investments as of last quarter. Alphabet, $150 billion. Microsoft, $120 billion. Let me put it this way. If that cash is yielding 4% at a minimum, in the relatively risk-free treasury market, that's now nearly $7 billion coming in the door at Apple annually before it wow. even sells a single iPhone. Wow! So it's just bringing in money. But what we could see, though, is more calls to distribute that cash to shareholders who are looking at those cash piles and saying, hold on, we should we should get a bit of this back, too. That's a so great that point. could be a topic
1: this earnings season. All right, Deirdre, thank you. We appreciate it very much. Our Deirdre Bosa reporting. Still to come, Coca-Cola has missed on revenue only once in the past five years. GM is postponing an EV plant expansion amid slowing sales. And near-term options in Spotify imply a more than 11% move in either direction. We'll dig into the action, the story, and the trade on all three of those names about to report an earnings exchange next. And don't miss the CEO of Snap-on joining Jim Cramer on Mad Money tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern. Nicholas Pinchuk, we're back in a moment. Welcome back. The U.S. deficit soaring to $1.7 trillion, a 23% jump from 2022 thanks to rising entitlement costs and record high interest payments on the federal debt. My next guest says the biggest problem facing the U.S. right now is what's known as fiscal dominance, where both the debt and deficits climb so fast they overwhelm the Fed's ability to keep inflation low. And that could leave both the Fed and lawmakers with some uncomfortable choices. Joining me now is Charles Calamiris, professor emeritus at Columbia Business School. Uh, I'll still call you professor. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today.
10: It's a pleasure.
1: So it's ironic because we have some big investors like Bill Ackman today finally saying, all right, maybe the the rise in long-term bond yields is done now. Um, For those who think they are probably going lower here on slower growth, is there any word of caution you might sound?
10: Yes. Uh, One of the possibilities that's driving the long-term bond yields higher is concerns about inflation risk related to the cumulative effect of government debt. So we don't know exactly why the long-term bond yields have gone up, uh, but certainly that's one of the possibilities that people are talking about. And that's related to this concept of fiscal dominance that you mentioned, the possibility that the cumulative effect of deficits will cause money printing to result from uh, the In unwillingness of people to continue to bear increasing amounts of government debt, which forces the Fed to step in and purchase the debt that is effectively printing money.
1: Yeah, you have a great piece for the St. Louis Fed if people want to read more about this. But you said a couple of the things to watch out for if we're entering this period is for instance, a failed government bond auction. You know, there is some some yield at mm-hmm. which they might say, we don't really want to, to go at these rates. Now, it's probably not 5%. Maybe it's 7 That's or right. 10 or 20. I don't know what that number is. Um, I don't know if there's any speculation about what that number is.
10: Well, um, I'd say that, let me say what's already agreed upon. If you read the February uh, Treasury Department report, they already recognized that Current planned deficits based on entitlements and other planned expenditures are already putting us in an unsustainable situation, which uh, means that there's no interest rate at which uh, um, we can sustain those deficits going forward. So it's really not a question of what the interest rate is going to be. But at some point, people will recognize that at no interest rate, will they be willing to accept further uh, government debt issues? And at that point, you have, as you pointed out, some kind of failure of the bond auction. Um, This has only happened a couple of times that I'm aware of in American history. But what it means is that uh, people sort of realize that we've hit this point. It's not an easily forecastable threshold. Economists can't tell you exactly where it is. But we know that if we don't do something, here's what's absolutely agreed upon. If we don't do something about the cumulative deficits that are being forecasted uh, based on our entitlement programs, we will hit that point. And that will lead to some sort of convulsion in the bond market, followed by a very big increase in inflation.
1: Yes, because the only real options at that point are t- kind of turn to the central bank, and, and there's a warning in here for banks, which is quite interesting about the fact that the Fed might have to stop paying interest on reserves at the same time increase reserve requirements, right. um, and, and that would be a big profit shock. And a lot of people might not realize yes. that that what's happening is really this kind of stealth monetization of the debt. It might it might come across as something much more mundane. The, Give give him a second. I I like the pensive face. It looked like he was agreeing. Again, if you want to read more about the points that Charles Carol was making about fiscal dominance, uh, his fourth quarter St. Louis Fed research paper is online right now. Let's turn to the busiest week of earnings season with about 30 percent of the S&P reporting. Then we're going to look at three consumer names in particular that are out before the bell, Coke, GM and Spotify. Here with our trades today is Jeff Kilberg. He is KKM Financial's founder and CEO. Jeff, welcome to you.
11: Hey, Kelly. How are you today?
1: Let's talk about these. Maybe sneak in a, a little uh, chat about the markets on a pretty wild day for bond yields here. But let's start with Coke, which reports before the bell tomorrow. Uh, coming off its third straight month of losses, down more than 12% since July. Consumers showing some signs of weakness. Wedbush says that could lead to price softening down the line. They also noted declining domestic demand for soda and juice, and the new era of these weight loss drugs. So. Jeff, as it comes to Coke, I understand you think the move here might be sell the stock into earnings or or period. Is that right?
11: Yeah, I think you can even buy it a little bit lower. So I don't want to be a strong seller because you never want to fade Warren Buffett, the Oracle. The Oracle owns 400 million shares, Kelly. That's about 8% of the company. But if you look at this, it hasn't done much. And it's been a decade-long conversation or debate about Coke or Pepsi. If you look at Pepsi, Pepsi has outperformed on a one-year, three-year, five-year metric. So I want to own this potentially lower down to $50, but that's 10% lower. So if you don't have a position here... I would be a seller, I'd be taking profits just to see what they talk about the consumer. Cause that four guides to your point is gonna be really important. It is trading at a discount to Pepsi, trading about twenty two. Ford uh, P.E. ratio versus Pepsi is up around 27. So there's value here. And Warren owns it, but I don't want to own it. Right
1: Do you now. think the declines in Pepsi and Coke are because of, you know, if it's if it's kind of the hype around weight loss drugs, that might be an easy entry point for long term investors. But if it's because of high rates and, you know, underlying concerns about consumer and the economy, that feels like a little more a, a little more troubling story.
11: Yeah, and it may be. I don't think it's the Ozempic story. I think there's a myopic view here in the United States. You know, you talk about Coca-Cola. They're in 200 different countries. So their products are well diversified. I just think it's overall consumer. And there's just other products out there. You know, I see my teenage kids. They're buying Prime right now. They love Prime. We talk about it around all the time. We got Prime. We got Prime. That's the song they like to talk about. So they're moving a little bit away from the traditional Pepsi and Coca-Cola products. We got
1: Prime. All right, let's move away ourselves then and talk about General Motors. Uh, The UAW strike hitting both share price and production with GM down an estimated 20,000 vehicles since the start of the strike. The stock is down 12% during that period. Deutsche Bank thinks we'll see some resilient demand, though, combined with reduced volumes. It could even prop up pricing. What are you thinking here, Jeff?
11: I'm an owner. Uh, It has been rough to your point, Kelly. The last three months down over 22%. And they really have to thread the needle on this earnings call. When they're going to talk about the Q3 report, they can't Oversell it, if you will, because that's going to hurt them and work against them in any type of negotiation. So, this UAW situation is bigger than we think. It may be priced in, but I do want to be a buyer here. This is an essential name. You talk about GM, you talk about their uh, EV ambitions, they're delivering on that. So, I want to own it for longer term, but it may be a little bit volatile here as we get through this next week.
1: Do you think there's any, you know, I don't want to quite put it this way, but that they'd sandbag the quarter so that they, you know, appear weaker in, in union negotiations?
11: You know, they can't do that. They have a fiduciary responsibility or shareholders. They won't. And I think, you know, they're kind of chasing Ford year to date. Ford's outperformed. At the end of the day, they're going to be responsible in their their reply. But at no means will they oversell the Ford guidance uh, due to those negotiations.
1: They are trading at four times earnings. Four. I mean, is it going to go to zero? (laughs)
11: <laughs> it can't. Uh, GM is a name uh, that I think you want to own. You talk about it, some of these blue chip names. That's an essential name. I actually own it in our essential forty portfolio. It's a boring name, but until they kind of get back to where they were, and you have to remember this was trading you know at a fifty-two week high just at forty-three dollars. So it's really come down at an opportunity. To your point, at four times, you have to buy it here, I think, and you have to hold it. But you have to be willing to get through this earnings call because it's going to be volatile, Kelly. You may see it go up and down five percent just predicated on that forward guidance or how negotiations may perceive their forward guidance. All
1: right. Fair enough. And finally, we also are going to hear from Spotify in the morning. And those shares have had a nice year. They're up 90%, but they're well off those 2021 highs. They're hunting for profitability still, and the market doesn't like unprofitable companies in this environment. Uh, New AI personalization features, they're hoping those help reduce churn. They've added audiobooks to encourage premium subscription growth. What do you do here?
11: Look, I think you have to take profits here. Uh, I don't want to be a seller by the end of the day, up 95% year to date. You really have to be considerate where this has been halved. You go back two years, it was trading above $350. And I know it is the music streaming giant, but you talk about volatility in GM. Whoa, we're going to have some volatility in Spotify. And I think when you really kind of peel back the onion, Kelly, investors and all the advisors I work with and support, they are going back and reverting to companies that make money. Spotify doesn't make money yet. So that question mark over the profitability and when is going to come, that's going to hit some investors. And that may incite some profit taking. And you could see a little bit of a dip here in Spotify.
1: We also mentioned near-term options imply about an 11% move in either direction. Does that entice you as a trader or make you want to stay away?
11: But as a trader, yes. I mean, you could consider it selling some put spreads, really defining your risk. But when I talk about Spotify owning it from a longer-term investment, I don't get too excited, specifically if I've owned it for the last couple of years, where, yes, we're up 95% a year to date, but we're still down 50% on a 24-month view. So this is a highly volatile, nearly a two beta, so you have to understand what you own and what your exposure is if you're just trading this name versus owning it for the long term.
1: Let me put you on the spot as to use to borrow their pun, uh, for a couple of other things. We do hear from Pulte in the morning. We're going to hear from a few of the builders. Those were the ones that were trading at four times earnings. If you go back a year ago, they ran up. They were hugely loved. They became a crowded trade. They've since corrected. Do you stay away or do you reenter?
11: I think if you own it, you you hold on to it, you consider reentering this position. If you talk about Pulte specifically, it's up 53% year to date. The Home Builder Association, about 25%. So it has outperformed. But when you really take a step back, Kelly, you have to understand the supply and demand issue. If you look across the country, there are considerate supply issues. And I know they're only delivering 7,000 homes for 2023 and maybe 7,400 homes. But I think this is a a space that you want to own. And they have outperformed. And I know they're smaller, about half the size of DR Horton. Hmm. But they have... You know, kick the you know what out yeah. of D.R. Horton in the last one year, two year, and three years. So we get excited about owning this, but there could be a better entry here uh, after the earnings.
1: Interesting. Horton, of course, was the favorite name from our Deutsche Bank analyst last week. So a lot of differentiation right. kind of cropping up here. All right. So now the big, uh, the big reveal, as it were. What do you make of the moves in the ten-year bond yield today? Rick Santelli, top of the hour, Jeff called it an outside day that could be a sign of a trend reversal.
11: Well, Kelly, I honestly think Bill Ackman was watching our segment last week. I talked about the 10-year note going back lower after it printed 5%. And sure enough, we're 20 basis points lower on the day. So we talk about an overcrowded trade. We talk about the expectations, and this was all in the wake of Fed Chairman Powell's last rhetoric he talked about. And when he really pushed the market and let the market do his work for him, he was able to achieve the goal that maybe he doesn't need to raise rates, obviously, in November nor December. So I think you're going to see a lot of trade covering, but also expectations of the market moving lower. And that's why I think the 10 year is going down to 4.5%, and that will really be the relief rally or ignite that Santa Claus rally we're all looking for in Q4.
1: All right. We'll see uh, We'll see who responds now. Jeff, thanks so much for your time today. It's good to have you. We always appreciate it. You bet, Kelly. See Jeff you soon. Jeff Kilberg with KKM Financial. want to get you a quick check on the travel stocks before we go. HSBC initiating coverage on several travel and leisure names. On the hotel side, Hilton, Marriott, Hyatt, and Host, which are all hi- uh, nicely hired today. On the travel side, they also like booking holdings, Royal Caribbean, uh, MGM, and Wynn. Green across the board. there. the MGM leading the way up 5%. And don't miss CNBC's Evolve Global Summit on November 2nd, gathering leaders and innovators from around the world for provocative conversations, uh, strategies, and tactics to innovate and transform in this new era of business. Just scan that QR code to register or visit cnbcevents.com Evolve. That does it for The Exchange. Thanks for your time today. If you want that newsletter I mentioned, sign up in one easy step over at cnbc.com newsletters. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make
6: a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.